0: You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Cattanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Into the Fray with the Book of Truth and Love, recorded on September tenth, two 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he begins his new sermon series titled God, Man, Woman. So it's kickoff Sunday, which means... um uh, all, the, all the campus pastors are, are excited because they've been planning for this and getting ready to go. Uh, I'm excited because uh, fall, though it does mean the sad end of summer, it means the happy beginning of football. So happy football weekend to all of you. Uh, we want um, to jump right into the fray, and I'm going to start um, with, uh, with a text that I'm not preaching on, which... Um, Okay, you'll figure out why. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Deuteronomy, way at the beginning of the Bible, when Moses was giving the law to the people, he said this in verse 9 of chapter 4, Only take care to keep your soul diligently. Speaking to a whole nation of Israel before they were going to go into the promised land, he said, take care to keep your soul. And every one of us as humans before God, those of you who know and love Jesus, Um, Your soul needs to be managed. Your spiritual life does not finish when you receive Christ. That's when it begins. And every day you're alive till you get to the end, you need to manage your soul, manage your salvation, work it out, as the Philippians writer says. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Have you ever run into trouble and forgotten God? And then you remembered what he's done for you in the past? Well, don't do that, is what Moses is saying. Don't forget your God. But here's the part I want us to focus on. He says, make these things that he's talking about, that he's done, known to your children and your children's children. The responsibility to pass on spiritual truth about God, God gives to mankind to give to their children and pass on through the generation. Some people say, well, I'd believe in God if he just showed up right now and started talking to me. Apparently, um, people selfishly want God to show up and give lessons to every single person and every single generation, and it's not the way he works. Uh, instead, he wants us to work together with him on mission to bring the truth to other people. You know, there's been missionaries in, in the history of America who have gone and brought the truth to India, to China, to many other places and forgot to bring it to their own children. Once, when my kids were little, I used to read to them at bedtime and I read them the story of Adoniram Judson, the, the great Baptist missionary who went to Burma. And no matter what great things the Lord did through them, they couldn't get over the fact that he kept leaving his children behind in England. And the children were right. He did great things, and we're thankful for that. And he's not a perfect man. Nobody is, except Jesus. But the first responsibility is to teach our own children. It's not the church's first responsibility, at least not the church's in a formal way. If you're a member of the church, you are the church. But it's every household should teach the children in that household. If you have the honor of having a child in your life who's not in your household, and no one else is teaching that child, About the ways of God, then that is your honor to do that. It's your responsibility first, even before a Sunday morning uh, lesson that is planned. Um, Let me finish this out. He says, Gather to people to me that I may let them hear my words, God had said, so they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. I've heard Uh, The the way it's supposed to be when I was growing up, the way culture said it was, you're not supposed to teach your kids what to believe. Just wait till they're older and they'll decide for themselves. That is the dumbest thing in the world. Just wait till they're older and let them decide for themselves. That's how you get pit fans. (laughs) Oh, I know that was bad. It's the first football weekend. Throw that in. But in all seriousness, if you don't tell your kids what to believe, someone will. I'd even go farther, though. You are telling your kids what to believe. There's no greater tragedy in my mind than when people come to church, they listen, they agree and believe, and go home, and and don't see it as their responsibility to live a thoroughly integrated Christian life before their children. And their children know it. And they're learning what their parents believe. They believe religion is a Sunday morning thing. It's not a thing you take home or to school or to work. Now, I'm not saying that's you guys. In fact, I'm assuming it's not. We've had so many. Uh, I've been here like 13 years now. Um, I've got to get to 14 because 13 is supposed to be an unlucky number. Um, so <laughs> I don't believe in luck, but I just said that. Um, but I've gotten if you, if you stick around one place 13 years, you see the kids grow up. And I can't believe, believe how many young people are leaving... High school and still Christians. (laughs) Going to college and still Christians. Coming back from college and still Christians. That's the age you're supposed to lose them. And that's because of really not just the church working here on a Sunday morning or a Friday night. It's because the parents are passing on their faith. And so I'm urging you to do that very thing right now. Um, I was out for how many months? Like five months? (laughs) And while I was out, a very important uh, part of our church was being wrestled over. When I first got here 13 years ago, the very first thing I put all the effort into, obviously, is the pulpit. I believe in preaching. I believe the preached word of God is effective. Um, but the second thing was putting money and energy into building a children's ministry. Because so the, the children's ministry in a church is where most unbelievers come in. Now, you may invite all your people who don't know Jesus, who are friends, and they'll show up once in a while. But every single time you open the doors with children's ministry, the children of people in church come in and they're pagans, at least for a while, until they get saved. And we need to teach them not to goof around back there and and just play with with the felt board Noah and the and the elephants and, and say Jesus needs a friend, won't you be his friend? We need to teach them about the same great God that we get from the Word of God in grown up church. They need to know that he's big enough for parents that divorce. He's big enough for bullies on the playground. That he's definitely big enough for you. He doesn't need a friend. But what's cool about him is he wants one. And he died for you. And we want those kids to have that. Finding a curriculum that does that is not as easy as you think. So we committed to children desiring God. And we committed hard. Well, over this past year, the campus pastors decided to adopt a different curriculum. Now they didn't do it on their own. They weren't renegades. But that's a pretty scary moment. But what I appreciate about these campus pastors is the reason why it was hard for them is they needed one that would help serve the needs better without getting rid of the gospel or because children's desire in God is just awesome for showing how great God is. We've had many teachers come out and say, man, I know more about God now than I did, and I'm teaching first graders. So they found the gospel project. And today we kick it off. Now, why would we switch if the other was good? Well, the other was church-based. In other words, a church made it. This one was made (laughs) by a much bigger organization, um, Lifeway. And because it was a bigger organization, they can give us a lot more tools that we can use today. And these tools are all designed with one thing in mind, and that is it's best if the grown-up who brings the kid to church, because I realize that you may not be a parent, the grown-up who brings the kid to church can go back to the very same lessons And say, what did you learn? Oh, I know what you learned. And discuss it with them. You say, well, I don't know what they learned. I was up here. They just bring me a coloring page, throw it at me, and run after a cookie. Well, that's why we're here to equip you. Um, So let me show you what you get with a gospel project. Your student, this one's for a young student, will normally get a page like this. It's in your bulletin. Um, And this one has a coloring page. And I noticed that Dan over here is actually starting to work on it instead of listening to the sermon, and that's okay. It's for, it's for grown-ups too, okay? Um, but what it also has is the key phrases, the Bible story, the family discussion starters, and a family activity. And if you say, well, I don't feel creative, just read it. It's really easy. Why was it okay for Mary to use expensive oil to anoint Jesus? You might say, well, if I don't know the answer. We taught your kid the answer. Just wait for them to say it. (laughs) But it's not just there. We also have these cool little cards. And each card has the lesson summarized. And on the back, it has the main point, the big picture questions, the Christ connection. Beautiful thing about the gospel project, Christ is in everyone. Old Testament, New Testament, always the cross, Because Paul said, I determined to know nothing before you except Christ and him crucified. Folks get saved when they hear the good news of the cross. And so Christ is in every single lesson. And so those cards are available to you too. But it is a modern age. And I don't think I'd use those if I had little kids. I'd use the app if I can open it. So on your phone, you can get the app. And there's even something in your bulletin tells you how to get the app. And there it is, right there. And okay, so you can't see that. But I actually have it on my iPad I feel like a salesperson on QTV, but I'm not selling anything. Come on, iPad, get out of there. Some of you saw me change cases and thought I had a computer up here. I don't. Well, it is. It's an iPad. Well, I can't get it out, so I'll show it to you like this. Um, These apps have the lessons for every week right on them, and they have video, and they have song. See, I hit library there, and, oh, there it is. This is for my iPhone. This is for my iPad, Session one Daniel and his friends obeyed God. I press the button. It has games, big picture flashcards, key whatever, main point puzzle, coloring. If, if I, Dan, you can color on your iPad. And Bible story video. Dan's going to kill me later. He's a big guy, too. Um, you can look at this yourself by downloading it. These tools you're very familiar with. You're used to using smartphones, you're used to clicking. Um, all this has one goal is to get you to talk to your kid. Five minutes with your kid. let them know you're serious about what they're learning and connects you to it. So the tools are in your hand. The exhortation is in your hand. Uh, don't think it doesn't make a difference. These five minutes with a five-year-old, 10 minutes with a 10-year-old, they will pay off when the kid is 18 and a grown-up and 19 and 20 and 21. And then whatever you did, they will think if they enjoyed it, this is normal, and they will do it with their children. And you can leave a legacy. So I wanted to make sure I, I gave all that time. I didn't want to relegate it to simply a short announcement. I wanted you to see those tools. In, in this campus, our, camp, our children's ministry director is named Gail. You can look for and find her. If you're in the Indiana campus, her name is Kendall. If you're at the Freeport campus, her name is Lisa. And if you're at, which one am I to leave out? PVC campus campus it's katie wayne they have them they can answer the questions show you where to get the materials they've trained your teachers so we're ready to rock and roll he said "Boy, you used a good bit of your sermon time on that i did because i think it's that important you guys with me can i get an amen if you don't have kids and you had to sit through that that's not bad that maybe god's going to bring a kid in your life a backyard bible club kid a neighbor, friend of a grandchild, a grandchild. If your, grand, if your children uh, don't want to do it, sometimes children don't want to go in the way of the Lord that you went, go for the grandchildren and teach them the way. Um, okay. Well, we're starting a brand new series, as you know. And to say it's timely is, is an understatement. Um, let me read you a list of things that I was thinking about. One, about two weeks ago, In Paris, there was trouble at Euro Disney. I know, you worry about Euro Disney. I want you to know the problem has been fixed. They sorted it all out. Apparently, there was a woman who had a four-year-old boy who wanted to do the Disney princess experience where you go to Disney and they dress you up like a princess. And he was denied, saying this is for princesses, which are girls. The mother made a stink, and she smartly made a stink with the press. And as soon as Disney found out, um, they realized their error. Princesses don't have to be girls. Certainly this boy and any boy can be a Disney princess. And he was admitted. That was a close one. Um, This stat is hard to take, but it's true now. In the United States, four out of ten babies are born to unmarried mothers. Four out of ten. Now, many of those are people who do it on purpose, many by accident, That's 40% of the babies. Most grow up, not all, but most grow up without a daily dose of the father. Mothers, in general, this is not across the board. I've seen the opposite. But in general, mothers will stay committed to those children when dads won't. If there's not a marriage or not as much. There's obviously goes the other way. But often it's the mother who has the kids. And so fatherlessness is affecting our nation in ways I don't think we can comprehend. Just start thinking about the ways. First, we have women who have to learn to cope without a helper that God ordained, <laughs> and uh, readjust everything, changes their financial life. Then you have children who don't have uh, a man reinforcing things, and they grow up, um, and very often they sputter. Failure to launch, as they call it, is is most prevalent. In mother-led households, which is nothing against the mothers. They're just not dads. Four out of ten. You think, well, well that's why we need more contraception. We need more abortion. Two things I'd say to that. One, it's arrogant, because <laughs> your assumption is people who can't afford abortion for free and who can't afford contraception who are doing this and they're not smart enough to figure out on their own how to not have babies. But second, we've already tried it. We've been giving away contraception and free abortions in the most high-risk areas for decades now. And it has not slowed down women, babies born to unmarried mothers. It has actually picked up. Boy Scouts of America has been torn apart by gender controversies. Don't know if you should put a gay man in a tent with little boys or not. Girl Scouts lead the way by proudly accepting, proudly, I saw on their website, boys who identify as girl. So if your little boy um, (laughs) wants to hang out with girls in a tent, he just has to say he is one of them. Government-based discrimination against Christians is government-based, law-based, is is on the rise. And the Affordable Health Care Act, known as Obamacare, only made it worse. In every way it could make it worse, I'm sure. Um, Mainly abortion. Trying to force Christians or non-Christians to purchase abortions for other people. Um, Us Christians would say, well, you're asking me to help purchase the killing of a human. Um, And they say, no, we're not. Um, More recently, state by state, the same is happening. Oregon just passed a bill this summer, Bill 3391B, for those taking notes. 3391B, which tells insurance companies that if you work in Oregon, you have to pay for every abortion, no matter who asks for it, no matter what their financial status, and no matter what the condition. So from day one to nine months, rich women, poor women, all women get free abortions. No exceptions. Christian employees, Christian employers, no exceptions. The governor, Kate Brown, claims that all who oppose this legislation are involved in, and this is a quote, an attack on all Oregonians. Where I would say all who go along with this legislation are involved in an attack on the most helpless Oregonians. As you know, marriage has been redefined. After thousands of years, it's thought man and woman is not marriage, but now men and men, women and women. You can and should expect polygamy anytime soon. That's when you marry more than one person. Just expect it. Don't be shocked when it comes. Francis Schaeffer said uh, back in the 60s because of our worldview that we can expect that what's unthinkable today will be thinkable in 10 years. And what's unthinkable in 10 years will be thinkable in 20. And so expect to see polygamous. I'd go farther. I'd say you can expect to see people marrying relatives and pets. You say, well, that's unthinkable. I know. How are Christians affected by this? Mostly in adoption services. Catholic Charities, which was one of the biggest adoption providers in the country, is having to leave many states because they won't place children in purposely single-parent households, and they won't place t- children in gay households, where both there's two dads and two moms. Google, you might have heard, just fired a man for writing a memo suggesting they relax female programmer requirements. He was saying, I, I can't hire enough females. All the programmers who apply are men. So he sent a memo around And he got fired for saying that. And that made national news. Because he should have been fired, apparently. John McEnroe also found this out. He said Serena Williams was the greatest women's tennis player ever just a few weeks ago. And he was immediately asked, don't you mean greatest tennis player ever? Why did you say women's tennis player? You shouldn't say women's, just greatest. And then he followed his first sin with a more mortal sin of answering her question and said she, she'd get killed if she was on the men's circuit. She's nowhere near as good. She'd be like a 60th or 600th or something. I don't know. Obviously, social media went crazy. He must hate women. But language is now under what we call it politically correct. But you know what it is, language is now needs to be conformed. I, when I was in high school, I had to read 1984, and I'm glad I had to read 1984, it was a creepy book, but I'm glad I had to read it, because now I can see that it's happening. And I also read Animal Farm, George Orwell, speaking of how communism was going to affect the USSR, was really telling us about all the Western Europe and the United States, because he said there would be something, in 1984 it was called Newspeak, <laughs> And you had to use new speak. You couldn't use the old words. You had to use government approved words. If you didn't, it was a crime. And we're getting there now. I was just listening to a book on audiobook about raising children that aren't anxious because it was something I'm curious about. I'm not raising any new children. And the pronoun, the gender pronoun was always she. I'm like, how does he know I had daughters? But that's what you have to do because if you say he, it's evil. But universities are going farther. They're now requiring incoming students to choose pronouns for themselves. What does that mean? Those of you who haven't been around college in a while, you say, what the heck are you talking about? He and she are binary, meaning they assume that there are two sexes, male and female. And since, uh, though you may be a male or a female, the argument is your gender is determined by culture. How male or how female. And to say... Well, I'm not a he or I'm not a she. That's not fair. You're oppressing me. USA Today printed a guide to gender-inclusive pronouns. This would be funny if it wasn't real. There it is in color, like USA Today. USA Today is the paper for dummies, right? They all think we're so stupid. They can't do an article more than, you know, 100 words and with, with pictures. And I guess I read it, so it must work. I must be a dummy, but... I like their sports page, it has a lot of colors on it. What can I say? He Z is probably the one. Zer. Conjugate Z, Zer, 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 Zer. Example, I asked Zer to go to the movie. <laughs> Sounds like you're you're inviting an alien. V. V, ver, V, V, ver self. Viz hair is brown. And then I don't know how you said it. there's Z and X E. I'd say a Z, but it's a Z. Editor's note at the bottom. While the, the pronouns above are among the more commonly used, more non binary pronouns exist. Who can keep up? So you go to a school and you have to choose a pronoun. And I have a feeling that if you're a student who's such a Neanderthal that you refuse to use them, you will be looked at as doing hate speech. In the Newspeak, if you call a Z a her. In our society, humans are devalued. What do I mean? People are demanding the right to abort. And, and it's amazing how many people who demand the right to abortion, a right to kill a baby, that they will lobby for the care of cats and dogs. I love cats and dogs. But before I sponsor a dog for a dollar a day... <laughs> I'm going to wonder, how are the humans doing? Let me stop the abortions first. I, 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 put a, I invest a lot in two dogs. And when they're dead, I'll invest in some more dogs. And I'm, a, I'm all for dogs. No one God does not want people to be cruel to animals. Does not. It's not godly. It's in the Proverbs. But I, my head spins when I have people who I know will abort babies telling me, how are you caring for your dog? Do you make it wear a collar? To show slavery and domination. You have to to adopt a dog. You can't... I don't adopt dogs. They'll say, you're going to adopt a dog? No. I'm going to take the dog home if you'll give it to me. I adopt children. You have to swear that you'll never give the dog away unless you bring it back. Why? It's a dog. That very same animal rights... And we all love dogs, by the way. If you hate dogs and cats... uh, I'm not going to judge you, whatever. But I like them. I like both. I even like cats. All you guys are I hate cats. I know, it's because you're not comfortable with your manhood. I get that. (laughs) See, you got to, people say, I don't care if you're a vegetarian, but there are a lot of people who are vegetarians, so you won't eat meat. How dare you eat your brother, the chicken? But they'll kill the baby. They're against fur but they'll kill the baby. They devalue humans. The minnow that, 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 that stopped, Cali- stopped millions of acres of California farming where they grow food to feed people because a minnow was getting caught in the pipe. A minnow. We've got lots of minnows. I'll give them more minnows. Got them in every pond here. People jailed for disturbing eagle's eggs, but paying for someone else's abortion in Oregon. And then there's this right to die, which is the most foolish thing at all. Right to die, it's like having the right to the measles. Death is a horror. You think, well, it's a mercy kill. How do you know that person is going to have mercy? Do you know they're going to heaven? First, do you kill people if if they're going to heaven? Hopefully you don't. God will care for them. But if they're not, it's out of the frying pan into the fire. There's no mercy in that grave. But right to die has become right to kill. Because doctors have to help. It's not doctor-assisted suicide. It's doctors murdering people. Leslie Haywood is a professor of English and creative writing at Binghamton University, where she's a member of the Evolutionary Studies Executive Committee and teaches seminars on animal studies. She had a son born recently. He didn't get enough oxygen to his brain. He was born alive, but without full cognition. She didn't know know if he was going to live or die. But if he lived, he would be infantile his whole life. So she wrote an article saying he's precious, but he's not human. And she wished he'd die. She got her wish. He did die. She didn't kill him. At least that's good. The new push now for abortion is stop being ashamed. Feminist leaders are saying to America, boldly proclaim your abortion. Now, Christian beliefs of human sexuality are ridiculed at best. At worst, they're called hate speech. What I just read to you with a little bit of sarcasm and editorializing I did is considered hate speech by many in the Newspeak. Well, that's a long list, and I could have went on, but I want to ask this question. What do all these scenarios have in common? How are they all bound together? By this, each one demonstrates that our society lacks a unifying definition of what it means to be human. We're here to talk about man, woman, and God, because we don't know what a human being is. If you you can live in your brain with saving a chicken... From an undesirable lifestyle before it makes to the Colonel's kitchen, but you don't mind killing babies. You know, (laughs) what is a human? What's a boy? What's a girl? It's almost absurd to have to ask it, but we have to ask it. I shouldn't say it's absurd, it was all foretold in the scriptures. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? What does it mean to be family then? If you don't know what a human is, and you don't know what a male is, and you don't know what a female is, what in God's name is a family? And we're going to answer that in God's name. What's a family? Some of you had to grow up fatherless or motherless because of, well, one of them died or one of them left. And maybe you missed that other one. Should you have missed it? It's just some sort of gender appropriated, non binary or binary human, some biped, some evolutionary product that left the life. What's it matter if he's there? Your heart can't yearn for a dad, or can it? What's a mother? What's a mother? you ask the feminist they'll say a slave and i mean that that's what they say what's a boy what's a girl this this is an introductory sermon i want to set the table with the problem this is why we have to talk why would wouldn't one sermon on man woman god do it would 20 years ago it won't today The root of our confusion is our worldview, the worldview from which we come as Americans. So it's your worldview too. As a Christian, you're trying to, no matter where you come from as a Christian, you're leaving your worldview to take on Jesus' through the Bible. And our particular worldview, the one we grow up in, is one that has cut itself free of God, and that is the problem, it always was the problem. That's what Francis Schaeffer was talking about. We said there is no absolutes. There's values, clarification, figure out for yourself what is right. Autonomy has taken over. You say, what the heck's autonomy? Self-rule. What's self-rule? The most important government in the planet is you governing yourself. That's autonomy. What's a boy? It's what you say a boy is. What's a girl? It's what you say a girl is. What's sex? It's what you say it is. What's a family? It's what you say it is. What's right? It's what you say it is. What's wrong? It's what you say it is. And as Americans, that's in the air we breathe. But now that you just think about it a little bit, you'll see that's the morality of our society. You just have to add as long as you don't hurt anyone. But they're not very nuanced about what's painful and what's not painful. You may not seem to be hurting someone right now, but you'll hurt them later. What is the self? No one has a right to judge either. Another person's answer. Mostly, the one who may not intrude is God. Mary Midgley, who's a secular professor, not a Christian, describes how most in our society believe. And she, I think she's right. She says, thus, granted that God, who might have had ideas of his own about humanity, has really been removed. Our status as humans has become even grander than it was before, Christian thinking. <laughs> no higher power can interfere with us. End quote. That's it. We have fulfilled what Psalm 2 said we would. Psalm 2 written 3,000 years ago. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel Together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. That's mankind. He he always, let him go long enough in a society, he will say to God, you're not in charge, I am. And we live in a world where each one does what is right in his own eyes. And if you've ever read the book of Judges, you know that we do wickedness and call it good. We do wrong and call it right. This is the world you live in, Christian. So what are you supposed to do? What, for those who call harvest home, is your pastor calling on you to do? Two things. One, hold fast to the truth. You're not blowing in the wind. Do not determine truth because it makes sense to you. That's wicked. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it only leads to death, says the Bible. You determine what is right and true by what the Bible says. So hold to the truth. Second, interact with the society around you with love. They're lost. We're not here to go out and condemn and yell at and scream at them. We're here to rescue them and love them. And bring them in. This series, God, Man, and Woman, is meant to inform Christians on what the Bible says regarding what it means to be human and encourage each of you to love the lost. The foundation for the whole thing is now our text for today. And our text for today is one verse, Genesis 1-1. And it may be the most profound verse you'll ever read. If you let it run through your mind, let it run through all that you know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's your freedom right there. We're not dependent on man. We're not dependent on anything anyone says is right or wrong. In the beginning, God created. The maker of a thing defines the thing. You don't make a painting. and The painting says to you, hey, I'm a movie. No, I painted you. Shut up. Why would I give you the power to talk? the one who makes it as the right, because he made it. In the beginning, when all matter started, when the universe started, God was already there. Go back in your head and think that through a minute. When there was nothing, there was God. And he made a decision and made everything. He made the heavens and he made the earth and he made all that's in them. There were no worlds, there were no suns, there were no stars, there were no galaxies, there was no space dust. He made them. And on this earth, there was no sky. <laughs> there was no water. He made it. There were no seas, there were no lakes. There was no land. He made it. There were no trees, no plants, no flowers, no fruits, no vegetables. There wasn't even poison ivy. He made it. There were no bugs. Some of you saying, I wish you'd have kept it that way. He has a purpose. Bugs are cool. They're the coolest little things in the world, if you're not scared of them. They're amazing little exoskeletons. There were no spiders, no ants. There were no dragonflies. Dragonflies are the awesomest bug in the world. You don't believe me? Go Google dragonflies and look at all the pictures. They come in every color, every size. Big old eyes, big old wings. They fly like a helicopter. They don't bite. They eat mosquito, and they scare girls. There's not a better bug in the world. They do it all. <laughs> no ladybugs, no bees, no fireflies. No fireflies. He made them. He made bugs that butts light up. And we just act like that's normal. Why should that be normal? That's amazing. There were no fish, no squid, no whales, no dolphins, no sharks, no seals, no coral, no sponge, no SpongeBob, <laughs> no jellyfish, no seaweed, no clownfish. That's that other dude, Nemo. No schools of grouper to go catch on the deep sea fishing. No salmon, no tuna, no marlins, no starfish, no seahorses, no crabs, no lobster, no nothing. He made them. There were no turtles, no frogs, no lizards, no snakes, no worms, no bats, no mice, no rats. He made them all. There were no kittens. Imagine a world without kittens. It's awful. No puppies, no zebras, no elephants, no lions, no tigers, no bears. No meerkats. No hippos, no buffaloes, no horses, no cows, no oxen. Oxes, oxen. No reindeer, no elk, no white-tailed deer. He made them all. There were no birds. There were no birds. God invented birds. No blue jays no mockingbirds, no bluebirds, no cardinals, no starlings, no crows, no orioles, no seagulls, no eagles. Eagles and seagulls, rhyme. No hawks, no falcons, no kites. No parrots, no cockatiels, no parakeets. No woodpeckers, no turkey, no pheasant. No chickens. Chicken is the greatest gift. It feeds the world. They grow fast, easy to eat. And everything that's weird tastes like them. (laughs) They're already used to it. No ostriches. He made them. He made them all. There was no Grand Canyon. If you've never been to the Grand Canyon, it makes Niagara Falls so boring. Niagara Falls, you need about four minutes to go, okay, and then you're done. Where's the restaurant? Grand Canyon. Your breath just leaves your lungs. If you've been there, you know what I mean. And you're like, I cannot believe this. There's just something about it. He made it. He made the great mountain peaks. There were no great trenches in the sea. He made them all. And finally, there were no human beings until he said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. He made us. What are we? Whatever he says. The maker of a thing defines the thing. He has the right. We're not here to find out Pastor Mike's definition of man, woman, right sex, wrong sex, morality, mother, father or family. We're here to find out God's. The scripture says this about rebellious mankind. Isaiah 29:16. You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should say of its maker, he didn't make me, or the thing formed of, say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Should you say that to God? Well, God's ways are old fashioned. <laughs> Let me tell you how old fashioned works. It works like this: anything that goes out of date is it may be in fashion now, but it's it's going to be out of fashion, right? When you stand before Jesus, when he returns and breaks open the sky to judge the living and the dead, whose definition of man and woman is gonna be the only one? Whose? His. That would make any other definition old-fashioned. Our goals during this series are three. One, discover what God says about mankind, as I've said, including if you're here, it's like, yeah, talk about transgenderism. This is not going to be a series on that. It will be covered. But they're more important. Bigger fish to fry. What's it mean to be male? What's it mean to be female? What's it mean to be father? What's it mean to be son? What's it mean to be family? Second, believe what God says. It's your second goal, no matter what. And third, take your stand with love and courage. In other words, we're going to, our, for our map, trust him even when what he says goes against your culture. Why? Because he's good. His ways lead to happiness, wisdom, liberation, and fulfilling human thriving. There's been no advance in joy in our culture. Going against his ways leads us to the unhappy, angry, unsatisfied mess that you see in the world around you. So it's up to you. Will you believe God as we unfold what the Bible says or will you decide for yourself? Now I know since you're all good Christians you're all going to say well of course I'm going to be on God's side, right? I would say no. I never assume that my fellow Christian is going to believe the right thing and neither should you. Why? When the dominant culture in other words when the air you breathe out there pushes the other way it makes cowards out of people who want to fight it. When the dominant culture surrounding the church clashes with the ways of God, a large portion, the largest portion of Christians will remain quiet. They'll say, don't look at me over here. And they'll be cowards. A small portion will sell out to the world's ways and be vocal about it. That's the historical pattern. We see it best in American history, the acceptance of slavery and segregation in the American South. I'm not shocked by race-based slavery. I'm not shocked by lynchings, that they took black men and would just hang them up to show power in the town. It doesn't shock me. Mankind's evil. The Bible says we're evil. We do evil things. What shocks me is you can hang a black man up in a southern town filled with Christians and the Christians don't show up to stand there and say, why are you doing this, brothers? That's what shocks me. In their time, they were cowards. How few white Christians were willing to risk their lives to change it. There were some. There were some. White Christians were behind abolition. They'd always get credit in the movies. But how few? How few preachers regularly shouted against such sins? Some did. And you might say, well, if I lived then, I would have been different. It's so easy to be brave in the hypothetical past, isn't it? It's another thing to be brave in your own times. And the track record of Christians throughout history paints a different picture. The largest percentage of Christians choose simply to stay silent. That's what they do. They do nothing that makes them vulnerable. A small percentage choose to sell out, and they're normally very vocal, and they condemn other Christians. And a minority stands on the truth, proclaiming it loudly. You want to see an example? Look at Nazi Germany. Nazi, Nazi ideas were pushed through the churches. the churches. It was demanded that the churches go along. And you know what they did? They went along. Does that mean they all wanted to kill Jews? No. It means they're cowards. Some of them probably wanted to kill Jews. Who do you remember? You remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the the priest who said no. You remember Cory ten Boom or something. But most of them, the churches, the churches. How many churches were in England or in in Germany? Why don't they all, every single one of them should have said no in unison. To get closer to home, I, I can't, tell you how many, how discouraging, I'll put it this way, how discouraging, I can tell you numbers, I can't tell you how discouraging it is when I've talked to pastors who said, I'm not going to preach on abortion. Why not? It's a political issue, they say. Just get the people saved, then they'll change their mind. First, I agree, the gospel comes first, bring the gospel and people change their minds. But to not use the pulpit to teach your people what God thinks about the killing of human beings in the womb is cowardice. Let me go farther. Closer to home. During the 90s, Christian leaders, 80s and 90s, willing to speak out on the roles of men and women in the home and church were few and far between. Ground was given up. People say, well, I'm not going to judge what they do over in that church. I think they'll never come home. I was when I was first a pastor. I was part of the American Baptist denomination, and as a part of the American Baptists, I joined a little group called the American Baptist Evangelicals or something that were the anti group to go against the, the 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 slide. By the way, the American Baptists. There are a lot of good American Baptist congregations, and there are more bad ones. And the mothership is just a cesspool. Go to Valley Forge. Their leaders are a cesspool of compromise and sellout. And I. Talk to the leader right in my office in New Jersey because there's a leader of New Jersey. He put so much pressure on us to go along with women pastors. Don't fight that. Even though the Bible says different. Because what's the Bible know? And then when welcoming and affirming churches, was. Every church should be welcoming and affirming to gay people in the strictest sense. To all people, anybody. But the ones who say, go with it, be a gay pastor who marries a gay pastor, the truly affirming ones, he said, well, we would never ask them to leave the association. <laughs> I was like, Roy, what if someone puts a Buddha on the stage? Where do you draw the line, dude? I went to that evangelical group and they were all upset because American Baptist churches were starting to accept um, homosexuality as not. Being homosexual is not a sin. Having desire for other, so the same sex is not a sin. It's a problem. It's the sex that's the sin. It's the act. You can struggle with wanting something you shouldn't have. Right? 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 Am I right? That's what you call sin. Every time you sin, you wanted something you shouldn't have. The problem is when you step over the line and start doing the sins. Well, the American Baptists are trying to say, well, let's just not call it a sin and the problem goes away. And they were all talking about this. And I said, look, you guys don't want to fight the fight about the roles of men and women in the home and in the church that the Bible says. You gave up that ground. You didn't even fight. And there's a lot more verses on that than there is on what you're worried about now. And they're not alone. People just are cowards. Why should I fight it? They're not really going to kill the Jews. Why should I fight it? So what? That word submission is so ugly in our society. Well, is what you get. Today, a great majority watches silently. As, <laughs> but a sizable minority is it's starting to sell out big time. Ryan Meeks had one of the biggest churches in the country till they decided they were gonna be, they're gonna change their views of sexuality. Another big one in Denver just just flipped. And now there's pressure, there's theology, there's people saying, You're backwards if you won't agree with this. Trust me, lots of Christians are gonna go the way. A minority of people will be loving and bold. We don't need anyone's hateful. <laughs> the majority will just keep their mouths shut. What I want for you, Harvest, is that you're part of the loving minority, every one of you. And I'm hoping to convince you by teaching you the scriptures. You will be hated if you do this. You'll be called names. The Nashville Statement just came out. Talk about timely. They must have known I was doing this series. So the people down there came out with a statement. People we like at CBMW, Council on Biblical Man and Womanhood, they came out with a Nashville statement. You wouldn't believe the Christians that sold out. Can I throw a few out? Jen Hatmaker, formerly of Mops fame. The fruit, this is her quote, of the Nashville statement is suffering, rejection, shame, and despair. The time is callous beyond words. If you've read the Nashville statement, if you've never heard of it, go find it. It's just what Christians have always believed. Brian McLaren, he's the one that's always on the television at Easter when they're looking for a pastor. He says, really, evangelicals, with all the pain, chaos, and cataclysm right now, you thought now was the time for this crap? Quote, that's what he said. John Pavlovitz, a pastor who is ubiquitous in his blog, said, I have my own statement on the national statement. It could be lots of words, but honestly, I probably could narrow it down to just a finger. He said, he goes on, we've chosen to use our sacred text, the Bible, not to bring comfort or create unity or engender hope, but to beat the hell out of people who spend much of their days already walking through hell because of the cruelty of our disciples, to which I'd say to that guy, speak for yourself. I don't beat the hell out of people. Well, not in the way you mean, and I hope we can beat the hell out of people through preaching the, the real hell. Well, not the way he's using it. I'm not cruel to people. He But that'll get you, the world will say, oh, there's a pastor who's enlightened. He's woke. (laughs) I'm inviting you to go against your culture. But you might be saying, I thought you said be loving. I am loving. I am loving. Those are supposed to be Christians. Jesus never seemed to speak a negative word to the adulterers, the prostitutes, the demon-possessed. But he didn't pull his punches with the Pharisees. And I don't see why I will either. I'm inviting you to go against your culture for the sake of the word of God. I'm inviting you to be misunderstood. I know you're loving. I know you shouldn't have to walk around apologizing. I know you. I, and I, mean, I don't know all of you. I know many of you. And I would perfectly trust gay members of my family in your presence. And I have them. I wouldn't worry that you would be mean to them or ridicule them Or whatever that guy said you you do to them. Belittling them and whatnot. But trust me. (laughs) You're going to be assumed to do that. I'm inviting you to be misunderstood for the sake of Christ. I'm inviting you to love when you're called names. Not to fight. I'm inviting you to bless and curse not. To speak the truth in love. And you say well that's not fair. I know it isn't but you'll be in good company. Because that is how Jesus saved the world. He was hated when he did right. By loving back, not hating. And he had the truth. He saved the whole world. God defines what he created. He also loves what he created. He loves the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that through him the world might be saved. Jesus Christ was hated, died on a cross, to pay for my sins and yours, he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, where he sits at the right hand of God, he will return again at the end of the age to judge the living and the dead. And now he asks us to act like he acted when he came the first time. Sheep amidst wolves, they're not gonna love you for taking Jesus' point of view. That's okay. Because they'll get saved, many of them. Some of them. If you're here and you don't know Christ, I want to be very open and not manipulative or sneaky. My agenda for you is that you'll change your mind and become a Christian and have all your sins forgiven and live forever and know God. As one sinner who did the same to another, that'd be me to you. Join us to the Christians. We lead with love. All right? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.